Meet Deborah. She was chosen by God to serve his people. She is a humble, noble servant who was known as the mother of Israel. She is the only female judge and was also called to be a prophet. I would sit under the palm tree between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. The Israelites came to me to have their disputes decided. Deborah is courageous, serves with wisdom and knowledge. She's confident and trusted by the people. I could only walk in the confidence that God gave me. I heard from the Lord, and I shared his words with the people. Yes, leading them in military battles, but most importantly, leading them in their relationship with him. My name is Barak, and my name is written in the uh, Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith. I was raised in the area south of the Sea of Galilee. He was a general, a skilled warrior, leader of thousands of men, and God wanted to use him to free his people. Apparently, Barak was reluctant to follow after God's command. So Deborah sent for him and asked, So why has your faith wavered? Deborah encouraged Barak in the words of the Lord, and he united the tribes of Israel. I led 10,000 men into battle and defeated the Canaanites. I am Jael. My husband Heber and I are tinsmiths. We make farming utensils, kitchen items, and weapons. Her husband was a good businessman, and they remained on good terms with all of the locals, including the Canaanites. They were a nomadic tribe and would move around to wherever they could find work. As tent dwellers, Jael became very skilled with all of the tools used to set up the tents. A skill that came in handy when the Lord presented me with the opportunity to join with his people in defeating the king's military commander. How great that we could have Deborah, Barack, and JL here with us today, right? I mean, they traveled a really long, long way in a very long time. History is the study of our past. We study and share history to give a voice to those that time threatens to silence. We look to our past so that we can make better decisions for our future. Deborah, Barack, and JL are a part of God's big story. And today, we are giving voice to this story. This voice will help us to keep from making the same mistakes that the Israelites had made in Judges, and it will help us make better decisions for our own futures. Romans 15.4 tells us, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Studying history keeps us from making the same mistakes. Now, there's a story of a man who I hope nobody in here can relate to. He said, my wife holds grudges over the smallest things. You're laughing already. <laughs> Does that mean you know somebody like that? His wife was asking him for some lip balm, and he made a mistake. He accidentally handed her a tube of super glue. He said, it's been a few weeks, and she's still not talking to me. 
Now, I am sure he learned his lesson from that mistake, or maybe not. Nobody in here has made a mistake. I certainly haven't. Ask my kids, they'll tell you. And if you've made a mistake once, I'm sure you won't make that same mistake again. But in Judges 4 and 5, we find the people struggling to learn from their history. You would think that they had learned from their lessons and the past mistakes that they've made, but nope, not at all. The Israelites continued a cycle of disobeying God, being oppressed by an enemy, calling out in distress, and having the Lord deliver them. It's the story that we heard from their time with Moses, and it's a story that's repeated again and again in Judges. The Israelites disobeyed God and allowed the Canaanites and their gods to kind of take root in their lands and among their people. So God allowed King Jabin, a tyrant, to instruct the commander of his army, Sisera, to make life miserable for the Israelites. In Judges 4 and 5, we find out how miserable Sisera made it. He had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. No one used the main roads for fear of being robbed or killed. Public life was governed by fear. The whole community seemed paralyzed and helpless, all because they chose new gods and each did what was right in their own eyes. Public life governed by fear, a whole community paralyzed, people choosing new gods and doing what's right in their own eyes. Yes, this happened in Judges. Could it be a commentary for current times? Israel kept experiencing reformation. They would change their ways and behaviors for a while only to repeat the same pattern of disobedience, oppression, cries of deliverance, and the Lord helping them. Reformation is a temporary change of outward behavior. And the Israelites seem to have this one down. Some of us have experienced moments of reformation where things seem to be going well. We're going to church on Sundays. Everything's great. And then a crisis hits. And we're kind of left wondering what in the world just happened, only to see that we allowed ourselves to turn away from God. God came for more than just a reformation, a temporary outward change. He came for revival. He came for complete transformation. Transformation permanently alters our inward character. Now, some of you are around my age, but I won't tell you how old that is because I don't want to embarrass you. And if you're around my age, you're probably familiar with a movie called Forrest Gump. Okay, some people, oh, some young people are even shaking their heads. Cool, I'm not totally outdated. So Forrest Gump was this great guy, and in the movie, he sits on a bench, and he turns to the person next to him, and he goes, if you know the quote, please say it with me. I'm not really good at impersonations. Life is like a box of chocolates. Thank you for doing that. So I love chocolate. Any excuse I can get to buy chocolate, I'll do it. So I thought I'd kind of weave it in here. I have two pieces of chocolate. Hollow chocolate, solid chocolate. Well, guess what? Reformed lives are like hollow chocolate. 
They look really good on the outside, but they're empty on the inside. They easily break. There goes my horse. And when I'm done with a piece of hollow chocolate, I still want more. Solid chocolate is more like a transformed life. Solid throughout. It might get dinged, banged, nicked up, but it's not easily broken. And it leaves you feeling fulfilled. Now, one of the wonderful things about God and the revival that he brought is that he can take the chocolate that is broken and make it new. The Israelites, they're ready to trade in their hollow chocolate for some solid chocolate. Deborah was just the person that God had in mind when the Israelites cried out and repented of their ways. He chose to rescue them through her. Now, as we learned from Deborah earlier, she is a judge and a prophetess. Very uncommon. The only female judge mentioned in the Bible. Countercultural. God gave her a special gift of grace to both hear from him and pass on his word of truth to his people. Matthew Henry, an 18th century commentator, wrote about Deborah saying, She was intimately acquainted with God. She was instructed in divine knowledge by the immediate inspiration of the Spirit of God and had gifts of wisdom to which she attained not in an ordinary way. She heard the words of God. Deborah was an ordinary person, but she knew God intimately. And because she had that intimate relationship with God, the Holy Spirit gave her gifts of wisdom. Having heard from God, she sent for Barak, and she told Barak, Listen, God said, you, Sisera, are supposed to go fight the Canaanites over on Mount Tabor, and God's going to come in, and he promises he's going to lure them in to the Kishon River, and he is going to hand Sisera and the Canaanites into your hands. You are going to win that battle. Now, we know that Barak is a giant of the faith, We heard that he is in the Hebrews' Hall of Faith for somebody who has conquered kingdoms. His name translated means lightning. So Deborah knew what she was talking about when she heard the words of God and she called Barak to this meeting. She knew that the Lord was going to lead him and empower him to win battles. But Barak said to her, Deborah, If you go, I'll go, but if you don't go, I'm not going. Why? Why would this giant of the faith make such a request of Deborah? It could have been that his faith in God was wavering at the time. Or maybe he wanted the instruction and the encouragement of Deborah and her faith with him and the men in battle. We're not exactly sure, but what we do know is that Deborah went into battle with him and the men. She made it clear, though, that because of his decision, the honor of killing Sisera would now be handed over to a woman. Deborah and Barak, two ordinary people who set out to do an extraordinary thing because of their faith in God. Weapons were scarce. The Israelites basically had no standing, working army at the time, but God had promised to hand them victory, and they were claiming that promise. 
Deborah and Barak went off to the battlefield, and at the same time, God did lure Sisera into the plains of the Kishon River. Now, it was the dry season, so Sisera felt comfortable with all of his men and the 900 iron chariots. Now, these aren't like horses and buggies, iron chariots, the tanks of their day. But because the ground was solid, Sisera was feeling pretty confident. Deborah turned to Barak up on the mountain and said, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak takes his men down off of the mountain into the plains. And at the same time, the Lord causes a freak, miraculous flood filling the plains. Sisera's men all began to panic. The men are panicking. Barak's men are coming in. They kill every last one of the Canaanites, except for Sisera. Sisera ran away to the neutral family of Heber, the Kenite. This tribe was friendly with Sisera, and so he felt comfortable going into their camp and felt confident when he saw Jael outside of the tent. Jael offered him a place to stay, some milk to drink, even a bed to lay down and rest his head. She then picked up a tent peg and a hammer and drove it through his temple, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord through Deborah that the honor of killing the army commander would be handed to a woman. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Deborah, she doesn't question God's voice. She doesn't wonder or worry about what other people are thinking or saying about her, and I'm sure they were. She has the faith to do what God tells her to do. Whether people follow her or not is not her concern. Her only concern is doing what the Lord has called her to do and not letting anything get in the way of that. Barak, he struggled to confidently move on the task that God called him to. Yet he showed us, even if you struggle in your faith, even if you don't have all of the answers, move forward with what God has called you to do. And Jael, through faith, was available to do extraordinary things. She couldn't be concerned about what her husband and his family thought about her helping the Israelites. She knew she had to complete the task that God literally laid down in front of her. It never ceases to amaze me that God would use ordinary people for extraordinary things. There are examples of it from cover to cover in the Bible. He takes ordinary people, flawed, weak, failures, and he uses them in extraordinary ways. God still uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways today. Corrie ten Boom, if you've ever read any of her diaries, you know that she struggled with doubt from time to time. Yet in the concentration camp, she made it her mission to help the prisoners see their circumstances through the eyes of faith. Daisy Moore is a young girl who lives in the rainforest over Columbia. And every day, she rides a zip line, 500 miles per hour, 400 meters over the river, just to get an education. Do you see the sack she's carrying? 
That's her brother. She carries him so that he can get an education as well. And then just yesterday, I had the opportunity to meet with a woman. Remarkable. She's about my age. She has four children that she has fostered to adopt. Said, I'm not going to take any more. Called me up and said, Pastor Melanie, I want to meet with you. We sat down and she said, I got a call from the foster agency. There was an emergency placement that needed to be taken, and I said yes. As if that's not extraordinary enough, this woman exudes the grace and love of Jesus, not only to those children, but to the birth parents. And then there's one of our own, Carol Samuels. She has been either battling cancer or living with cancer since 1993. This week, she starts treatment for new spots that the doctors have found. I called her and she said, Pastor Melanie, as long as God has me here, I want to serve him. He has given me a passion to encourage others who have survived or are living with cancer. And she does just that, leading up our Cancer Connections group. She faithfully prays for individuals who are battling cancer, calls them, sends them emails, and writes them handwritten letters. So would you pray for Carol this week as she faces a new round of treatments? I think one of the reasons why I love seeing how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things is it helps me believe that no matter how unremarkable I may be, how flawed I am, the failures I may have in my past and the ones that might happen, God may still choose to use me in extraordinary ways, and he will still choose to use you. And he chooses to use us to show his great love to the people, to show his amazing works, and so that he can be glorified. Victory is ours for the glory of the Lord. Deborah battled against culture. Barak struggled with confidence and faith. Jael had to battle between what her family wanted and loyalty to God and his people. What battle are you currently facing? God promised victory. In 414, it says, the Lord has gone before you. He has delivered the enemy into your hands. And then what's probably one of my favorite verses from the story of Deborah, 531. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And may we all be like the sun when it rises in its strength. What is the sun when it's in full strength? It is the life source of earth. It is the energy that we need. At its hottest, it is close to 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And here on earth, the sun is at its full strength and hottest when we are close to it and there's nothing blocking its rays from reaching us. God sent his sun to be our light, to be our source of energy for life here on earth and in heaven. His power is strongest when we are close to him and there's nothing in between him and us. 
There are a couple of verses throughout the Bible that coincide with this idea of sun and light, and I just pulled a couple of them to share with you this morning. Malachi 4.2 says, To you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing on his wings. I know that there are some of you today who need healing. In Luke chapter 1, verse 78 through 79, it says, The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness. If you are in darkness this morning, there is light through Jesus Christ. And in John 8, 12, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not have to walk in darkness because you will have light that leads to life, a full transformed life here on earth and the promised life of eternity in heaven with him. Deborah in Judges 5:31 points us to Christ so that we all see God's promises fulfilled the Christ of all scriptures, the true light of the world. Those of us who have a relationship with Jesus are like the sun at full strength. We become transformed. We align ourselves with God to do extraordinary things for his glory, and we get to see victory over our battles so that we can reflect Christ's light to a dying world. Be transformed. God wants to completely transform you. He wants you to have a faith that is solid inside and out, not easily broken. As you become transformed, you will be aligning yourselves to allow God to use you in extraordinary ways. Maybe you won't go ziplining over the rainforest in Colombia. Maybe God's not calling you to foster. Maybe he is. But I do know that through faith, God wants to show the world his great love and amazing works through you. And that is extraordinary. Victory is yours through a relationship with Jesus. Whatever battle you are facing today, remember the Lord has gone before you and victory is yours through a relationship with him. May all your enemies perish, Lord, and may those that love you rise like the shining sun in its full strength. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love to do extraordinary things through ordinary people like us. God, that you want us to have solid faith to be transformed. And Lord, that no matter what battles we might be facing, victory is ours through Jesus Christ. So Lord, I ask that if there's anybody here this morning that has been walking in darkness, God, I ask that today would be the day that they say, I want to step into the light. I want a relationship with Jesus. And Lord, you know those among us who are facing battles, you know exactly what those battles are. So God, I pray that they would claim victory in the name of Jesus Christ over that battle right now. And Lord, that through your shed blood, we would be able to glorify you as we see you move and work in extraordinary ways. It's in your name we pray. Amen.